Man, over this uh, past weekend, just uh, as, I, as I think about stuff going on in our church family here, uh, sick people home from the hospital got meals delivered to them. Uh, people in need got ramps, uh, handicap ramps built for them. Folks moving had, had, uh, had help moving from point A to point B. And uh, it's, it's a privilege to be part of a family that, uh, that gets that, man, we're called to serve each other. We, we don't do that perfectly. Uh, we drop the ball sometimes. But man, it's a privilege and it's an honor to be able to, to be part of a church culture that says let's serve one another in love. Um, and I didn't embarrass him in the first uh, service, but there's a lot of uh, incredible uh, servants in our church family. You start naming names and, and you get in trouble. But, but I think about Bill Stein, who was there helping Ashley move yesterday, then went from there and led a crew of folks that, that built, a, built a ramp for, uh, for a family in, in, in need of a ramp. And, and there's so many great examples. But, but Bill Stein is just one of those guys that, man, when there's a need, Bill's meeting the need. And he's not like, you know, he's not like saying, hey, uh, here I am, here I am. But, man, there's so many examples of that. Uh, we saw last week that, um, that God is love. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7-8, through 8, we saw that God is love. Um, and, that, and, and, and we were talking about last week that true love is rooted in God's character. God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's where true love is rooted. We saw that love um, uh, is revealed in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. That's, that's what reveals what love is. is, is, is God gave His Son, and, and Jesus laid down His life for us, and love results in us loving one another, loving one another. And so uh, we're prone to think of love as a feeling, and, and there are definite feelings that, that go along with love, um, but, but we're, t- we're tempted or prone to think of in our relationships with each other, um, in our relationship with God, you know, we're tempted to think about, you know, love as a feeling, and, and uh, you know, so I feel a certain way when I sing Amazing Grace, or I feel a certain way when I sing Reckless Love, that means I love God. Well, I mean, I feel a certain way when I I watch Little House on the Prairie. I feel like this stirring in me for simpler days. And, but that, that doesn't mean that I actually am uh, like a, a farmer on the prairie. I mean, I just feel that. I feel a certain way, okay? And so, we, and so feelings matter, but, um, but love is more than a feeling, okay? I think Boston said that, and they, they, they were dead on. It's more than a feeling. It's more than just feeling a certain way. And so often when we think, I love this person... Often what we mean by that is I feel a certain way when I'm around this person. Or I like the way you make me feel. Um, and woe be to you if you stop making me feel that way. New Testament love is much more than a, than a conditional feeling. Um, that's here today, gone tomorrow, dependent on moves. Uh, circumstances. Uh, that New Testament agape love that we talk about, that, uh, that, that agape Greek word for love, that New Testament love um, is, is, is much more than that. It's, it's tangible. It's unconditional. It's sacrificial. It's other-centered. And God's love is active. God's love manifests itself in, in Christ laying down his life for us. He didn't say, man, I Man, I just really feel for you sinners down there. Man, I have all kinds of great feelings for you guys. No, he came to us, um, and, and he put those feelings in action. So in this series, we're in refocus. We're talking about the one another's of Scripture. Love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, forgive one another, bear with one another, wash one another's feet. And, 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 and of those one another's of Scripture, the fundamental one that shows up 
uh, more than any of, of the rest of them. The fundamental one is love one another. And I believe that, um, you know, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul tells us what love is. He says love is patient, love is kind. But in these one another passages, love one another, serve one another, forgive one another, bear one another's burdens, Paul is showing us what love does. Love is active and love does something. And so when we, when we talk about serve one another, encourage one another, forgive one another, bear one another's burdens, those are just different ways that we love each other. Those are the different things that love does. And today we're talking about serving one another. Um, and and, and, and our, our thought today is that love serves when life stinks. There's times that life stinks. And when life stinks, love shows up, love rolls up its, its sleeves, and love serves when life stinks. And so the fundamental one another passage is, is love, but all these others are kind of offshoots off of that, that that tell us what love does. Love serves, encourages, forgives. Um, and one of the ways that, that Christ-like love is set apart or is different than any other kind of love, any lower kind of love, is that Christ-like love serves. Um, and so Jesus, when he's describing his, himself, when he's describing his mission, he says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and lay down his life as a ransom for many. Um, that's, what, uh, that's what love does. Love lays down its life. Love sacrifices. Love serves. Um, and so I have a problem, though, and you have a problem, and that's that even though like, we, were, we were created in this original state of blessedness, we were created in this original state of grace, and, 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 and you were created in God's image, and God, by nature, is a giver. God loves to give. God enjoys giving. Otherwise, why would God give us sunsets? Why would God give us one another? Why would God do, why would he give us oxygen? I mean, God loves to give. And, and, and because you're created in God's image, you're created to love to give. Um, but sin has come in and twisted us up and has gnarled us up and has, has shifted our focus away from God and to ourselves. And, 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 and sin has twisted us to want to be served instead of serving. Sin has twisted and bent us towards self-centeredness. God created you as a giver, but sin has come in and, wants, and, and has twisted us all up to be takers. And, and what happens in salvation, what happens as we walk with Christ, is we, we, we go from being a taker, and we, we have to learn to open up our hands and just humbly receive what God offers us. And as we humbly receive from Him, we learn to be receivers and then we're able to pass along what he's given us, and we become givers. It's incredible that God could take takers, convert them into receivers, convert them into givers. That's what God does. Um, so think about your life this past week. Think about your interactions at work, at home, uh, with your neighbors. Think about your life this past week. Really think about it. And as you think about your interactions, as you think about where you spent your money, as you think about where you spent your time, if there was like a Discovery Channel uh, like um, third-party um, uh, like stalker or something, like following you around, cameraman following you around, a reality show of your life. And there was this third-party observer. That sounds better than stalker. Observer. Um, um, this, this is stalker, by the way. Um, would, based on how you allocate your time and resources, would a third-party observer characterize you as a taker or as a giver? Probably something worth thinking about. Um, and so, what does repentance look like? So, living with a serve me attitude 
when we walk in, into a room and we're walking around and kind of with this sign like, serve me, serve me, serve me, that drains and strains relationships. That drains and strains our marriages, our parental relationships, our, our work relationships. A serve me attitude gets our life out of focus, but life comes back into focus as we refocus on Jesus. And so love serves when life stinks. So as we're thinking about what does it look like to serve, to love others through serving, what does it look like to... Um, to faithfully love that way. Thankfully, we're not left to our own devices to try to figure that out. Jesus has given us a pattern to follow. And, and, and that's the pattern we're going to find in the, the clearest picture we're ever going to get, we see as we turn to John chapter 13. Now, in John chapter 13, this is the final meal that Jesus is sharing with his disciples. This is a Passover meal we're having a, a day early. And this is a, this is a meal that, that is full of meaning. And these men have been walking with Jesus for three years and they've watched him day after day after day just selflessly serve all kinds of different characters that he comes in contact with and they come in contact with. Um, and yet they've been arguing amongst themselves about which one of them is the greatest. Who's going to have the best seat at the table? And you can just hear the argument like, well, look at all, I did this and this and this great thing. I did this and this and this great thing. I deserve this. I deserve that. They're really good at keeping score. Does that sound like your marriage? Does that sound like your friendship? Does that sound like your workplace? Um, Sana and I wasted years in our marriage keeping score with each other. Well, I took the dish, I cleaned the dishes last time, or I, I, I cut the grass, and I did this, and I did that. That was wasted time. It was bondage. And Jesus wants to set us free from that. Jesus wants to set us free to serve one another open-handedly, to serve one another in love. Um, and we wandered around. I mean, so they get here to, to this meal, and they're arguing about who's the greatest, and they walk in, and there's no servant to wash their feet. And, 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 and that was a servant's job. That was a slave's job. That was the lowest, that was the lowest um, job there could be. And they walk in. There's nobody there to do that. So they just take their nasty feet over to the table, and nobody offers, nobody volunteers to wash everybody else's feet because that's not my job. That's not my job. And so, and so um, here's how the, the, the meal would have looked. They wouldn't have been sitting in chairs kind of at a long table like in the, the pictures. It would have probably been like a U-shaped table, and people would have been reclining on their left side, kind of with their legs over like this, and their right hand free to eat. This is actually comfortable. I may just like awkwardly stay here the rest of the... But, um, but if, if everybody's reclining like this, if you're, if you're here, then there's another guy right over here. Somebody's face, somebody's face is really awkwardly close to your feet, right? And, and we know that, like, the, the disciple that Jesus loved, John, is, is to Jesus' right. But we know there's another disciple that's over here to Jesus' left. That, and there's one disciple that's named that was close enough to dip uh, in, the, in the dip with Jesus, and that was Judas. And so how incredible is it that Jesus sits down at this meal, and Judas, the one who would betray him, it's Judas' stinky, nasty feet right in Jesus' face. Wow. Um, so nobody says, hey, let's wash feet uh, because that's not my job. They recline for the meal. John, probably on Jesus' right. Judas, probably on Jesus' left. Let's talk about feet for a minute. All right? Let's do some real talk. Uh, feet stink, don't they? I remember when my dad, my dad was a mailman and he would walk for miles every day, and, and, uh, and he would get home and, and, and kick his shoes off and just kind of collapse into his chair, and I would sit down at, on the floor right in front of him, 
and he would just rub my, uh, my head. And there was this aroma that would just come up from his, and I endured it because I just loved being with my dad, but I would just pretend, I would pretend that I passed out because his, you know, his, his feet stank so bad, and, and I, I had no idea how someone's feet could stink that bad until I became a grown-up, and, and now the mystery is, is solved, but, you know, it's like feet stink, feet are, feet are nasty, and you get a bunch of, like, junior high kids together and get them sweaty, and, and it's like, it's like a giant foot marinated overnight in onion juice. It's just not good, okay? And so it doesn't seem like the best aroma for the Last Supper. This doesn't seem like the ambiance that Jesus is trying to strike. In, in, in the first century, you'd walk down the street with sandals, and, and, and of course, there's dust you walk through, there's mud you walk through, there's trash you walk through, there's excrement you walk through, and they tracked all of that in to that room. Their feet had been all kinds of places, and let's look at what Jesus does. John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, this is what motivates Jesus' service. He loved them to the end. He loved them to the uttermost. He loved them to the very last second. He lived from the very last breath that he breathed with every fiber of his being. And that is where Jesus' servanthood flows from. is this unconditional love uh, between he and his Father, this unconditional love that he has for his disciples. Jesus' service flows from his identity. He knows who he is. He knows where he's going. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it around his waist, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that he was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Man, whatever situation you got going on in your life, maybe just like stamp that on it. Like, I don't understand what Jesus is doing right now, but there's going to come a point that I'm going to understand. So I'm just going to trust him. He's saying, trust me, Simon. Will you just trust me in this moment? You don't understand what I'm doing, but one day you will. Just trust me for the moment. And, and so Peter's response to that was a very mature, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And then Peter says, Lord, no, not just my feet only, but also my hands and my head. He's like the kid that wants to get saved at, at, at camp every single year, okay? And Jesus said, no, you don't need to do all that. I just, let me just wash your feet. You're part of me. You're clean. You don't have to get saved again. But let me wash your feet. Your, your feet have carried you into some nasty places. Let me wash you. Let me serve you. Let me help you. The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That's why I said not all of you are clean. He knew Judas had already determined to betray him. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? Write that question down. Do you understand what Jesus has done for you? The answer is no. None of us do. But man, I hope that I understand more today than I did yesterday. Do you understand? what Jesus has done for you? Do you understand what Jesus has done to you? He's constantly asking us that. Do you, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example or a pattern that you should do just as I have done to you. He goes on to say in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just like I've loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. So feet stink. These disciples' feet have been some nasty places, and Jesus gets up and he does the work of a slave. 
He humbles himself. He serves them. He washes their feet. He says, do you know what I've done to you? And he says, I've given you an example to follow. I've given you a pattern to follow. When my grandmother, we called her Grandmur, I've never heard anybody else call that, but Grandmur would, well, she was a seamstress. And I would sometimes go, you know, go to the town, go to town with her or something. But when she would go into the store and she would say, I'm looking for patterns. Um, I mean, she could sew anything, curtains, clothes, whatever. But when she was looking for patterns, I knew like, we may run out of oxygen in the store before she finds the pattern. And she would look and she would look and she would comb and she would comb and she would get exactly what she would. But then she would take that pattern home. And she would follow that pattern, and what she made would look exactly like the picture on the front. And Jesus is saying, I've given you a pattern. And if you'll just follow this pattern of self-sacrificing, other-centered, servanthood, love, you're going to end up looking like me. He said, if we'll follow this pattern, we're going to look like him. All right, so he loves and he serves even when life stinks. He says, "A, a new commandment I give to you. There at the end. Now, loving your neighbor, loving one another wasn't a new command. But the thing that's new about it is he says, love like I have loved you. Love each other, that's as old as as the law. That was the heart of the law all along. Everybody knew that. But Jesus says, love as I have loved you unconditionally. Even to the point of taking up a bowl and a towel and washing each other's feet, that's new. It's not conditional. It's not when I feel like it. It's not about me. It's other-centered, self-sacrificing, unconditional love, and love serves. I love Martin Luther King's sermon where he says, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your own subject and verb agree to serve. You don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics and physics to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. Anybody can be great because anybody can serve. Before we get uh, into some practical examples of kind of what service looks like, what foot washing can look like, I want to clarify a couple things about the pattern that Jesus has laid out for us. Everybody still alive? All right. Um, In in verse 1, we saw it. He says, he loved his own to the uttermost. Uh, Christ-like service is rooted in love. It's not rooted in, Jesus isn't trying to impress anybody. He's not interested in the the disciples saying, oh, did you see what Jesus did? He's meeting a need that's rooted in his unconditional love for his disciples. Verse 3, Christ-like service is rooted in identity. Jesus says he, he knows he's come from the Father. Uh, he, he knows the Father's delivered all things into his hands. He knows he's returning to the Father. Jesus knows who, where he's come from. He knows what his mission is. He knows where he's going. When you know where you've come from, and when you know where you're going, and you know what God's mission is for your life, service flows. It just flows freely. True service does what nobody else wants to do. Nobody was standing in line saying, hey, can I, can I wash everybody's feet? No, that was, that's not my job. So uh, <clears throat> uh, a few weeks ago, I was meeting with somebody in, here in the prayer room. We were talking, and I have my dog Jake here. I bring him here some days on Wednesdays, and he hangs out with the kids some on Wednesday nights. And Jake is housebroken and all that, but something happened, and he just let it go in the middle of the, of the hall. And Ashley had texted me a picture of what he left behind, the gift he left behind. And, and, and I, was, I was counseling. I didn't get it until after I was done in the room. I, I checked my phone. Oh, there's a picture of this huge pile. And, uh, and Ashley just had, had written the message, um, whatever you fed your dog, please never feed it to him again. You know? And so I'm like, oh my goodness, I go out there and it's gone. It's gone. It's clean. It's totally cleaned up. Now, I, I promise you, that was not in Ashley, our youth pastor's job description. Gretchen walked out and was like, man, she's a good friend, because I wasn't going to touch that. And, 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 uh, and man, Ashley cleaned it up. 
Man, that's what love does. Um, uh, I don't know if she was just didn't want me to get in trouble or didn't want Jake to get in trouble or what, but that's what love does. Uh, love doesn't say, that's not my job. All right? A true service does what nobody else wants to do. True service doesn't say, hey, let me pray about taking out the trash. Let me pray about cleaning up uh, the, the tr- uh, mud or, or vomit from the floor. True service just meets the need. God hasn't called me, maybe we'll say, God hasn't called me to visit the nursing home, or God hasn't called me to help with kids, or God hasn't called me to, well, God's called you to die to self. God's called you to serve. Find where that works out. True service is hospitable. It's not forced. I mean, just think about Jesus is, is, is doing something. He, this, there's, there's a moment here, and this moment is being, is being uh, hindered by this thing that everybody smells, but nobody wants to address. You ever been in one of those moments? Everybody knows it's there, but it's nobody's job. And so Jesus gets up, he wraps a towel around himself, and he washes their nasty feet. Um, and it's, hospi- it's hospitality. It's, it's creating an environment where, where God's word can be heard. Service, true service, Christian service ushers people into God's presence. True service is empowering. Look at verse 14. He says, If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. The punchline for Jesus is the way he's serving them is intended to result in them serving one another. Jesus' intention isn't that they say, Hey, Remember that time Jesus washed our feet? That was cool, right? My feet are dirty right now. I wish he was around to wash them again. His, his point in serving them was to empower them to serve one another. And so much of what passes for Christian service today is actually very disempowering to people. And so we need to think about what we're doing and how we do it when we serve. And we need to ask the question, is what I'm doing actually empowering this person to serve God and to serve others? Or am I creating a toxic relationship where there's dependence on me rather than dependence on Christ? Isn't that worth thinking about? Yeah, thank you. Uh, that's worth thinking about. And so, so true service is empowering. The punchline isn't, man, it was cool that Jesus washed my feet. The punchline is now you're empowered to do this for one another. Um, and it's kind of connected to that is, is this idea that you have been called, you've been called to Christ-likeness, but you have not been called to codependency. And I want to think, I, I, I want to just think with you and, and you do some thinking about the difference between Christ-likeness and codependency. Codependency is when somebody uh, shoots me a text, I need this, I want this, and I jump up and I stop whatever I'm doing, and I go meet that need, even if they don't even really need that thing. I go and do for somebody, even if what they're asking for is not good for them. And I'm operating out of my need to be needed, rather than a desire to actually make a disciple from somebody. God's not called you to codependency. He's called you to Christ-likeness. You know, there was times that Jesus was praying, and he was on a mountain, and people were like, where's Jesus? I don't know. Don't know where Jesus is right now. People send him text messages. People send him, man, I just can't believe, Jesus. what kind of Jesus we out here? He's just not responding. He's just not, he's not showing up every time I reach out to him. There were times that Jesus wasn't available because he has boundaries. That's what healthy people do. Healthy people have boundaries. So when Jesus is saying serve one another, he's not saying be needy. 
He's not doing this so he can get pats on the back and everybody can tell him what a good preacher is. I, I had somebody that loved me years ago, a pastor um, who was uh, on the verge of retiring. He'd been, had been a pastor for 40 years, and probably 12 years ago he told me, he said, Matt, I know you think you're compassionate, but you're not anywhere near as compassionate as you think you are. He said, you're needy. And if you don't get a handle on that, you're not going to survive because you can't meet everybody's need. You can't be there for everybody. And that's not even your job. Codependency is when it's about my need to be needed and I'm going to fix this person. Christ-likeness is when I'm a vessel, I'm an instrument in God's hands. But I'm just an instrument. I'm not the answer. True service is a taste of death. Did you know, I'm sure there's something that Jesus would have rather been doing, like eating, rather than washing feet. You know, if I'm eating and you come up to shake my hand, I'm probably going to give you one of these fist bumps because I love you, but I really don't want to like touch you and then put my hands in my, you know, touch my food. And so how appetizing is it to in the middle of the meal, stop what you're doing and scrub people's nasty feet? Like that's not appetizing. And service is a, is a taste of death. Whenever you have an opportunity to serve and truly serve, truly help somebody, truly serve one another in love, there's always something else you could have been doing. But you died of that to serve. So, serving is a taste of death and it's a taste of life. We were uh, helping Ashley move yesterday and, and uh, there was this moment where we're eating Big's Pizza, standing around her new living room. There's not enough chairs for everybody to sit. There's boxes everywhere. But, we're, but we were sitting and we were talking and we had this shared pain of moving and, and we're eating pizza and it was a taste of heaven. There's something about when we serve with one another we, so often we want fellowship, we want fellowship, we want fellowship, but you know what? When you serve with, with other people, you serve and you also get fellowship thrown in on top of that. Uh, serving is a taste of death, and it's a taste of heaven. It's a taste of life. It's a foretaste of heaven. So what are some practical ways that we can wash feet today? Hang in there with me. Um, this is really about a heart attitude, you know, because we've been twisted by sin, we can even take serving and make serving something to be proud of. Look at all the ways that I serve, you know what I'm saying? And, 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 and we got to be mindful of that. Um, but I learned a lot about serving from my dad. Um, and, and my dad, uh, uh, he, uh, <clears throat> he was raised, you know, my grandfather uh, was a a World War II veteran and, uh, and had a nervous condition and, and, and probably PTSD, but nobody knew about PTSD then. And, and, and my grandpa just raised my dad, you know, he, he did the best he knew how to do. Um, but my dad was determined to do better. And, uh, you know, um, every day of his life he worked hard. And he did a job that he didn't love um, because he wanted to give his children a better life than what he had. Um, he wanted to have better shoes on his kids' feet than he had had on his own. And he served his family by providing a different kind of life for us than what he had. He worked injured. He worked hurt. He worked through chronic pain. And that doesn't get your name in the paper, but it matters. And so if you're a parent, you're a single parent, you're a single dad, single mom, you're a, you're a, married, you're a married parent, you're, a, you're, you're not a parent, but maybe you're in a, in a job or a situation that's tough, man, just... There is something to be said about those acts of service that nobody notices. God knows and God sees. One time my dad was carrying his mail route and uh, he came upon a house that was on fire and uh, there was somebody inside and so he, 
he, he goes in, he rescues an elderly lady, helps her get out, and, and probably saves her life. And he came home and he never said a word about it. And it came out in the, in the Brownwood paper. We lived about 30 miles from Brownwood. It came out in the Brownwood paper. Uh, that's where he carried the mail. And, and somebody found that article and, and, and cut it out. I mean, you couldn't just you know, send it in those days. So they, they, in the mail, they put it in the mail and sent it to us. And, and I remember my mom opening this and reading it and like, what? And, and my dad got home and she said, Dave, this happened? Why didn't you tell us? And I just remember how embarrassed he was that we knew. Uh, and, you know, I would, I would work that into every conversation <laughs> that I had. Oh, I'm just kind of, my throat's a little sore from the time I rescued that old lady from the burning building. No big deal. That's what love does. That's how love serves. We wash feet by doing menial tasks that nobody else wants to do. We wash feet by praying for those whose feet have taken on places their feet shouldn't go. You know, when people's feet take on places their feet shouldn't go and their feet get nasty, it's easy to stand in judgment, it's easy to give advice, it's easy to just be disappointed. But when my feet took me places that I shouldn't be and I fell flat on my face and humiliated everybody that loved me years ago, there were people that said, oh yeah, that McGowan boy, he should have known better. But there were other people, there were people that I'll never know that hit their knees and they hit their faces and they prayed for me and they prayed for my family. And my destiny was changed. You wash people's feet by hitting your knees, hitting your face. You wash feet by praying for those whose feet have taken the places they don't need to be. We wash feet by relating to one another in a Philippians 2 mindset, considering one another more important than us. We wash feet by speaking the truth in love. You know, go back to the meal here and all the stinky feet in the air and in each other's faces. You know, people walk into our lives, and people walk into our, our church, and people walk into our workplaces all the time, and their feet have been places they don't need to be. There, there's... There's a number of us in this room today, and our feet have been somewhere they don't need to be. And you know where your feet have been, and you know whether they need to be there or not. But there's a couple different mistakes that we're tempted to make. One is to say, hey, go wash your feet. Get out of here until you get your feet clean. Jesus could have said that to the disciples. Go wash your feet. Get out of here. You're not welcome at this meal until your feet are clean. He didn't do that. We also can just... It, if I just pretend that this, pe- this person's feet aren't, aren't stinky, maybe the problem will just take care of itself. It's not what Jesus did either. He takes a towel, and he takes a basin, and he's telling them something. I mean, this is like, you know, every now and then you have to have that awkward conversation with a kid, like, hey, have you heard about deodorant? And like, what you're saying is, your armpits stink. Like, there's no... Nice way to put that. And Jesus is being truthful and gracious as he takes this bowl and this towel. And what he's saying to his disciples is he's saying, you're nasty. You're nasty. Your feet are nasty. And I love you. Will you let me help you? That's what love does. Love doesn't say go, come back when your feet are clean. 
Love doesn't say, ooh, I'm just going to pretend like these feet don't reek. Love says, can I help you? Can I help you with that? That's what love does in our marriage, in friendships, in a life group, whatever. So where have your feet been? Where have your feet been? Has Jesus washed your feet? And whose feet do you need to wash? Love serves when life stinks. So as the band's coming up, I just, I just ask you to think about what is stinky in your life? Where is it that you need Jesus to do what only he can do? And what is it that you need to bring some others into to just imperfectly limp along with you? How do you respond to a king who does the work of a slave? How do you respond to that? He says, go and do likewise. Wash one another's feet.